A pandemic of violence floods the streets of major cities as cases of the media dubbed murder virus, MV20 soar, causing those infected to go on killing sprees. Caught in the middle, police detective Angela Miller finds her only trustworthy ally in the self-proclaimed psychic PI, Gerald Henry. As the two try to navigate the violence, they are drawn into new age guru, Abra Mellon Harvest's plot to heal the planet. Harvest's missive? The world is sick, and humanity is the infection. The cure? Murder. From the twisted mind of Sean C. Baker, author of A Collection of Desires, and Shadowplay in Book One, Kim and Jesse, comes his most vicious novel yet, Murder Virus. Available where books are sold. Welcome to another episode of the Horror Vision Horror Podcast. I'm Sean. I'm Anthony the Anthony. <laughs> I'm Ray the Raymond. Once again, I'm the only one without a cool name, so I'm just sticking with Sean. <laughs> it's like Sting. Oh, or Seal. <laughs> yeah. Or Madonna. Actually, most of those people with just one names are, are kind of cunts, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> take that back about Seal. He wrote well, Seal is maybe the exception, but I would definitely say uh, Sting, yes. Even I love the fucking police. A large part of my my life has been reconciling my love of the police with my hatred of Sting. Um, Cher, oh, oh. <laughs> you want, let's, let's do this. I, you want to hear horror? I came home early the other day and Kirsten wasn't feeling good. She was watching a documentary on Auto-Tune that was on Netflix. And they went into, I mean, I, my, my hatred of Cher is legendary. Um, like the, the lounge band at the hotel where I worked in Chicago learned to believe just so they could like taunt me with it. So they'd like break into it occasionally. I'd be like, no more drinks for you fuckers. But yeah, other than just hearing all this like auto tune and whatnot, like th- that song. And then that song was stuck in my fucking head for like a, a day. It was awful. That's a ugh, horrific, horrific. Anyway. So, guys, <laughs> we're going to do something different with this episode. We talked about this uh, last week. So, we're not going to talk about the Suicide Squad, even though it's fucking awesome. And anybody that knows me knows it takes a, like, I do not like DC, really. I definitely don't like any movie they've ever made. I'll never see the first Suicide Squad ever. However, this, there was enough people told me like, dude, this ain't a DC movie. It's not even a Suicide Squad movie. It's a James Gunn movie, first and foremost. That like really whet my appetite. I saw it. I fucking loved it. And I, I, I said, you know what, like this guy's roots. So was actually, one of the things that really interested me, somebody I know was like, you see his trauma roots. And even though I'm not really a trauma fan, I, I definitely respect them. And I respect, the, I respect how he came up, you know, and I think you guys are the same. And we've talked about this. 
we covered Slither on a on a previous episode as our like you know the movie we watched. Um, but I wanted to kind of just spend some time digging into the things that make James Gunn, you know, like what he's done before. So kind of the DNA of James Gunn and and how that all led to just the the wonderfulness of of the Suicide Squad. So, um. Anthony, why don't you start? I feel like you're the most familiar. Well, I became a fan when he started doing the Scooby-Doo films. And, Monster um, Island. You know, I really didn't. Uh, I got my introduction to Gun <laughs> later on. Um, well, not later on, but actually prior to those films. Uh, I ended up at the theater. I was like, all right, there's a Dawn of the Dead remake, guys. You guys want to go watch this shit? Everyone said no. And uh, nobody wanted, none of my horror hound friends wanted to go check it out. I wasn't too familiar with Gunn's work. I knew it was a Snyder film. I wasn't, you know, super hyped about going to watch a Snyder rendition of this thing. And I ended up fucking loving it. He wasn't a name, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. that wouldn't have really meant anything. Yeah, but so at that point, it's like, okay, it's a no name doing a remake to a film that I love. Don't fuck it up. Um, the movie was so-so, but it was so well-written. It was extremely funny, extremely gory. And I know all this stuff had to come from somewhere. And that's when I was like, okay, who wrote this fucking movie? James Gunn. This guy needs to do films on his own. And uh, no, that's kind of like where the little love affair I had with the guy began. And um, I followed his career. But that's where it started for me was, was that initial dawn of the dead watch and like i said he's he's constantly had my attention even through like you know him doing his shorts pg porn and all that stuff which i fucking love and is hysterical i've heard it's hysterical <laughs> it's it's uh, hey nathan Fillion, what are you doing you want to play a porn star who accidentally kill or, you know kills his uh you know co-porn star whatever i don't know what the, the terminology is for that but uh you know the, the guy is he's consistent he's consistently yeah he, he does well at writing uh his jokes are on point his, his the dedication to the group of actors that he has that yeah. he's carried through you know from from you know point a to point b from pretty much where he started to where he is now that kind of dedication to to your people to your core people is just unheard of you don't see that with with actors yeah. he, he took he's like i got my first chance to do this it's DIY, and those who have proven themselves, please come with me. And it's so awesome where he took took folks. Um, yeah, the guys, the guys, in my opinion, stand up dude. A lot of people don't like him, dislike him. I hear he's a douche on Twitter, but I don't give a shit. I like what he does. The guy can back up what he, you know, whatever it is he says, and he's beaten cancel culture. You know, like. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad he's, I'm glad he's where he is, you know, and can get away with the shit that he that he does. Yeah. Like I said, I, I I remember being in the theater at the end of Slither, full audience, everybody's still sitting in their seats, not knowing what the fuck just happened. I stood up and applauded, and I looked around, and I was the only one doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that image. That's well deserved. <laughs> you guys are fucking idiots. Don't you get it? <laughs> But it was great, fantastic. Um, is there um, 
is there a place you guys want to go as far as like uh, any any films in particular you want to talk about? Well, Ray, what about you? Like, give give um, I don't know, give a backstory with Gun. Like, when do when do you first remember being like, man, this is somebody to watch? Uh, I think the oof. well, honestly, I didn't know that he had written. I saw the Scooby Doo movies many many years ago. Um, I didn't realize that he had written the screenplays for them. But no, and even until recently, but knowing that now explains a lot of the jokes that happens in the film, in the films. Um, And it wasn't the first, if it wasn't the first um, Guardians movie, it was uh, Super. You had us over to your old apartment, you had a screening. And um, I remember sitting there watching this thinking like, this is insanity. Like, you know, it's part of the reason that his stuff still works now. Um, and it's, 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 it's gotten to the point where he, you know, we're, even though we're not going to Suicide Squad, it's, like, it's the reason that Suicide Squad works. And that is that he's, he's willing to tell jokes at the expense of how dark they can yeah. be. Um, like, I, I was trying to describe to someone recently how what Suicide Squad was like because they hadn't seen it. And I was like, well, it's got a lot of dark humor to it. And the way I explained it was the two, there's two scenes from either of the Guardians movies that I described. And one was the at the fight at the end when Groot suddenly grows his limb very long and stabs all those soldiers and starts slamming them off the walls and then suddenly just pulls his arm back and they're all dead and they fall to the ground. And he turns and has this like cherubic smile that he shows to the rest of the group and, and the audience laughs. You all go, oh my God, that's hilarious. And the other scene is in Guardians 2, which even when I saw in the theater, I thought this is really dark and it's strange that he's getting away with it, but he is getting away with it. And that is when um, Yondu escapes from his cell with Rocket and he's got control of his arrow again and he's literally going around the whole ship killing all of the men that mutinied him. And and like there's literally the shot of him walking on the platform with Rocket right next to him and the men are just falling through the air dead. All these men wow. are just falling through the air dead. And there's the, and it cuts to like one guy sitting there with a beer and the, and the arrow goes by, breaks the beer and he's like, whoa. And then all of a sudden it comes by and hits him and even in the theater, people laugh, but it's an, it's an incredibly dark moment. And I thought to myself, this is crazy for uh, um, a studio that's not owned by Disney. They're letting him do this joke. They're fine with it. They're like, no, no, go ahead. And mm-hmm. it, it, it works and it's funny, but that's, that's James Gunn. Like he seems to be able to go and make jokes and do things that like, I think he knows that they're dark, but he, I think he also understands that sometimes you have to, a good joke has to be risky. A good joke has to be risky. Yeah, you well have said. to take the, at the pitfall of potentially offending people. That's the risk of a good joke. I mean, there's a moment in, um, I'm going to go a little bit into it in that late in, the, in suicide squad where the, you know, polka dot man is clearly crazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he said, yes. and, they, and he describes to him about the story about his mother. And then one of the char- other characters says to him, well, when, where do you see your mother? And he says, everywhere. And then it cuts back to the yeah. shot of the team and everyone's the mother. 
and it's a good joke, but at the same time, it's an incredibly dark joke. And it's about mental illness. That's a risky joke in today's time. Dude, it, it, it is. works. It, you know what it made me think of? It made you know? me think of um what is it like the I think it's endgame, maybe or something where it starts out where Thor is like obviously been drinking and and probably smoking dope or whatever and he's like lebowski right he's totally lebowski yeah 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 because of the trauma right dingy robe and shit looks like hell yeah so a guy i'm tempted to say his name but i won't but he was he was on it was somebody that we had on drinking with comics back a couple years ago good good guy good writer and he put on twitter i'll never forget seeing this man he was so offended by how they made light of mental illness. And I just wanted to fucking yeah. smack him in the mouth. Because you know what? It's like, <laughs> you, you know, and he, they're not making fun of people with mental illness. You know what I mean? Like you can use c- circumstances for a joke. Like, I don't know. I just, I don't understand. But this is a whole I get it. topic. This is a whole nother topic because now we're getting into the, the, the snowflake thing and all that. Oh well, yeah, it is. It is. But I think that's what I think. But like, I understand what you're talking about. It's the, I think that James Gunn has a certain amount of like, to borrow a statement from a, of a radio show that I like to listen to, who has a joke segment that goes very dark. I think he acknowledges that sometimes the world is very hard and like, there's a lot of moments where if you don't laugh, you're going to cry. Yep. Yeah, exactly. You're going to be gallows, miserable. Gallows humor. So, you know, yeah, I mean, so rather than, rather than be miserable all the time, find some humor in it, keep going, keep slogging yeah. on. And like, you know, he, he's very good at that. It's very impressive. The thing with, and the thing with his not recognizing that about humor that ends up being amazing in 2021 is that he did these huge successful movies and then he was canceled by cancel culture for a joke he made nine years before. He's fired from the next huge movie. DC picks him up because they don't know what the fuck they're doing. And you could tell they just went to him and were like, do whatever you want. We don't know what we're doing. Just please do what you do. He does. And then in the meantime, the other company, Marvel, hires him back. So his his joke, his off cut, whatever the joke was, I don't even remember anymore. I don't know if I ever looked it up. Who cares? That got him canceled, ended up making him probably the one of the biggest directors in the world right now. So I think that's fucking amazing. I think that's using cancel culture against itself. And I just I think it's so amazing. And I think a bunch of people that were probably outraged by whatever it was are probably feel stupid because you know they should. Um, but so you know, I only knew him from i guess super and slither i knew he wrote dawn of the dead like i knew that like since seeing super and slither both of which i love um but i've i've never really wanted to see dawn of the dead there was one time when i was still in chicago a couple years after it came out on dvd uh, uh, some friends and i were gonna watch it because i've always heard it's good and you know how that whole opening scene with Sarah Polly, where she gets off work, goes home, and then, you know, it's just when she runs out of the house and it's just bedlam in the middle of that scene, all the power. And this is like the Garfield Ridge area of Chicago on the south side, all the power went out. It was so weird and like eerie. And it just stayed out for like, I don't know, Ooh. for hours. 
So I never went back to it. That was like the one window where I was like, yeah, I'll watch it. If you want to put it on, I'll watch it. And it, part of it is just because I, I'm just like, don't remake Dawn of the Dead, but whatever. So I finally went and watched that this week. I watched that in Belko to prepare for this because the two movies I knew he wrote and, and I just haven't seen. Not Belko, not for any reason other than I just hadn't seen it. Uh, I Dawn of the Dead, is it's fine. I mean, I think... Anthony, you said something to me during the week when we were talking about where, like, I think you can see that the guy that wrote it has a sense of humor that's weird, and the guy that directed it takes himself and everything too seriously, and that's why there's everybody says that movie's funny. I don't see a, I there was not a single moment of levity in it. I, I mean, I that's a bit okay. That's a bit of an embellishment, but by and large, I feel like Snyder erased any of that. So I, that kind of didn't leave a good taste in my mouth. I also don't, uh, they just rely so heavily on that blue green filter from the early 2000s. It's just like, oh my God, sometimes it works. It, 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 for me, it just bugged me. Great opening sequence. There were things about it I definitely liked. And most of it was in the writing, like the way that they set up the situations, like the celebrity lookalike shoot, you know, uh, shooting monkeys in a barrel, whatever you want to call it. I really look, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I really like that, but everything I really, it's, it's very well made. It's very well directed, but everything I liked about it, like that had personality, I think came from the writing. I could be wrong. Maybe I'm reading into that because I like gun and Snyder stuff leaves me cold. I don't know. Um, Belko really well-made movie and probably the most applicable because, well, gee, so what do we take directly from Belko and using Suicide Squad? I've put bombs in your fucking head. And if you don't do what I tell you, I will fucking blow you up. So, you know, th that was interesting. Um, you know, he's definitely got a very cynical, but also like, like, it's not just dark. I don't, I don't know what exactly, like his worldview is pretty like nihilistic, but he, it's like, he uses that, in a funny way, like Ray, what you said, it's like, it, it's so nihilistic that you could either just be super serious or, 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 you know, goth, or you could just be funny. And that's what he does with it. That's, I appreciate the way he writes so much because of that. Like it's nihilistic, but it's, it's not, you know, most things when you hear nihilistic, you know, oh, okay, well, I'm going to be in for a really heavy watch. Michael Haneke, you know, um, yeah. very nihilistic worldview. And, you know, you're never going to be like, let's sit down and watch, you know, this movie by Michael Haneke, because I, you know, you're just not. Um, you're going to have a bad time. It might be a great movie, but you're going to have a bad time. But Gunn knows how to work it in the other direction. I think that's really, really interesting. And, I, you know, I can't, I can't wait to see what he does after. You know, because you posted on the, the pot, the um, discussion group on, on Facebook about watching our, um, Star of the Dead. Um, I didn't work. That's funny because, like, I didn't get that as a joke. That whole like shooting the celebrity lookalike thing. That makes me wonder. Like, and I mentioned this earlier in the week that I think that like, I wonder about that film and how it would have looked and how it would have felt if he had had the opportunity to direct it. Oh, much man. like, uh, much like how like when I look back on True Romance and think if if Tarantino had made this film. How would I feel about it as compared to Tony Scott directing it? Um, because I don't know. I feel like 
I feel like the jokes would have come across a lot more forward and like it yeah. potentially would have been like more of a oh like a zombie land you know where you're just sitting there and like you know you're like the jokes are so apparent and like the, the humor is so there like, like you're just getting it um right away um that's interesting but I, yeah i mean there's something I'm, i don't I, that's an interesting way to put it like I think the reason, I mean, I saw Super, I'm not a big fan of it. It is incredibly dark and nihilistic. Oh, um, it's so dark. Like, it's, uh, I don't know. I feel like even the moments where, like, the hero could have some joy or happiness, like, it's get, it gets taken away. Dude, that really movie, ways. remember when we watched um, at my place, I just remember, I, I don't, rem I feel like you stood up and paused it. Like, you took the remote and paused it, I think. <laughs> I, think and, I did, and you were like, "Wow!" And it was after the scene where Ellen Page rapes Rain Wilson, and dude, that, <laughs> like, I mean, it's that movie is so fucked up because, like, that actually, like, that's one of those things where I'm like, that I had a thing for Ellen Page, Elliot, you know, whatever, for years Stay. after that, Stay and <laughs> for like the wrong reason, like there was something so disturbing about her frenzy, but I'm like, it's yeah. hot, like. Wait, this is weird. <laughs> don't, don't, don't break me here. Like, but and and it was obviously done to do that. That's why he, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like it's almost like this like fanboy fantasy, like times a billion. Um oh god, that's a dark movie. Fuck, that's a it, it is so dark. It is, but you know, he has no problem going after um mental illness in that one as well, because you know, Rain Wilson is clearly fucked in the head, you yeah. know, something yeah. off. Something's off, and he is definitely cracked, you know. So yeah, he thinks he's again, talking again, to guns are really dark topics that he's never, you know, shied away from. I yeah. think that's what I admire about him because, like, like we've all said, you know, he's he's very, uh, very daring and, and unafraid and unapologetic, and, and and I respect, I respect that. I respect. I do too. That. He never apologized for those jokes, as no, far as I, I you not. know, I mean. I think it. I think it's. I think it's part of the reason he lends himself. You know, like we're talking about him on a on a on a show that's a horror podcast because, you know, there's a lot of horror comedy out there and like the good stuff. Like it. it it's not just about puns. It's about like finding humor in bizarre moments. The gallows mm -hmm. humor that like you know it hits and you're like, oh, that is funny though. I like that. Yeah. That's hilarious. I can't help it. You know, I mean, you talk about the fact that you one of your favorite scenes, and I'm sure for most people who've seen the film in uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, is that like picking on the scalp and like you know, and like and the whole like the weird mania and he's the way he's talking yeah. and like, oh my god, it's hilarious. And it like made his kid made Bill Mosley's career. I don't care who wants to go up against that opening scene. I, anytime you're gonna have a guy. <laughs> With a fucking face, with a person's face on, attack a couple of yuppies in a beam in a Mercedes with a chainsaw. I'm gonna laugh and smile and clap. It's too yeah, good. Yeah. Like yeah. It, there's just it. It just is. I think it also kind of, and I think it's what he does too. It also is airing a little bit of our frustration with the world. Like you know, can't change this or can't can't make these people different. I'd like to see them die. And like, he like is willing to do that. He's willing to be like, you know what? I'm going to show these people dying and you're going to enjoy watching them die. 
You know, um, Ray, you've come a long way, and I'm proud of you. He just yeah, said amen, right now, man. everybody. I want to see them die. <laughs> hey, so there's a dark. All of us have that, you know what? Whether we want to say it or not, like you know, you have people you disagree with or dislike in the world, or you know, for whatever reason, people that are making like life more difficult for everyone else. Whether it be the you know uh, the um, obnoxious billionaires or some politicians that are making things hard on everyone else, and you just think, God damn! And sometimes you say it out loud to other people, and sometimes you just stick it in your head. But you think to yourself, I would pay to watch you die an excruciating death. I really would. And 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 horror gives you that opportunity. You know, I mean, it's not a comedy, but like there is that great moment in. Um, uh nine living dead where that obnoxious jerk who's like yes who's doing, yeah. who wants to have a standoff with everyone else finally fucking gets it at the hands of his own zombified daughter and you're like yes and, yeah. oh it's so it's so satisfying you, you oh. know and the, the horror comedy thing is really interesting i think i was telling one of you guys this like a, a week ago or so um i recently rewatched return of the living dead and one of the things about that movie that blows me away is it is a comedy, in my opinion, first and foremost. Well, I mean, it's it's oh, obviously yeah. dressed as a horror movie, but I mean, it is a comedy. But it's also, there's something about it that is funny as it is, and it's fucking funny. Yeah, it, it is. also is one of the few movies that, like, disturbs me. And there's just something about it that it's, there's a darkness and, like, a terror to it. Maybe terror is the wrong word, but a horror to it that is really... Like it, it gets under my skin a little bit. So it's a, a weird push pull. And I know that's the goal of most horror comedies, but I don't think any other ones do it the way that one does it. Like Texas Chainsaw Massacre is definitely a horror comedy. Part two is definitely a horror comedy. Yeah. But it, it's not it's not the same. It's so over the top that it, it diffuses a lot of the horror, but there's I some think, stuff. I think there's a couple of things that I can pinpoint. One is like, for example, the... Uh, the, the zombie gets on the, the radio and is like, send more cops, which that. is hilarious. That's goddamn funny as shit when you see it. But then there's that moment when they've got that um, the corpse strapped to the table. And yes. It's just a torso. And and when they when they ask it, like, why do you eat brains? And it says pain. it makes the, the pain, pain of, stop. The pain of being and you're like, dead. Oh, my God. God, dude, that's exactly shit. That's exactly because when you're dead, you're not supposed to be that way anymore. It's supposed to be the end of all this pain and suffering and bullshit you go through through life. Not only that's that scene sets it up beautifully, but then also once Freddy's dead, he he keeps yelling like it hurts. It's so disturbing. Wow, you hit it right on the head. That's exactly what it is. It is, man. Oh, yeah. I I think I mentioned too, like the, the scene where the the crematorium operator realizes he's gonna die and what's gonna happen to him and he's takes his wedding ring off yeah and you see him like crawl into the incinerator like it's oh. this fucked up it scene. Is, it's a like, dark moment yeah it's so bleak man it's it's so fucking grim dude it is, yeah um, i agree that's and like i said it it does have very distinct horror moments in it and and it, it is a comedy and um yeah but there 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 are elements to it that are just they they have always freaked me out since i was a kid i mean even even the distinction between like you know the zombies 
instead of eating, you know, like your innards and stuff like them trying to get into your skull, to eat your yeah. brain, like that gives me the fucking willies to this day. Yeah, agreed. But I mean, I so I feel like that's the same mold that that um, the same you know the, the same cloth that guns humor is is cut from. Yeah. Like it's just. I don't know. And super is a great example of just something that's like, it's funny, but it's also like, Jesus fucking Christ. Like there's a couple moments in that movie where it's like, Oh my God. I want to touch on this. And I know it's, it's something that, you know, has been brought up a thousand times. Do you guys think gun ripped off night of the creeps? No, not at all. I mean, it's obviously very similar. You know, it's the exact same thing as Mike and I, Anthony, you'll just like, roll your eyes but the whole thing that like mike mendez is the convent is almost a night of the demons like remake or rip off. it's it's just I could do that, yeah. there's so many it, like i don't consider it a rip off there's obviously an homage element but for the most part he's just taking a similar template and doing his own thing with it and slither while there's you know obviously there's so many similarities it's not it's not the same fucking movie at all like just not at all so you know i mean you can when people love something they they will be defensive about it. And so I know like somebody we all know, uh, I'll just remain, they'll remain nameless. I, and not, not cause I think this paints them in a bad light, but I just, I, I don't agree with them and said that uh, Ari Aster's hereditary, like ripped off a scene straight out of exorcist three. Now I love hereditary and I fucking hate exorcist three. And I've tried, I hate, it. I think it's, I think it's just bullshit, but when I finally watched it the last time when Joe Bob did it and I, I was like, I'm going to give it one last chance. I so I finally realized the scene that they were talking about. It's, it's not a ripoff at all. I don't even think it's homage. It's just a similar thing. It's the headless crucifix, you know, and, but it made me realize like, Oh, because when somebody, this movie, you know, exorcist three is an older movie. It obviously had a huge impact on this person when it came out, they loved the movie and I'm not saying they're wrong, but so they're defensive about it. And I've been like that my whole life with music and movies, you know, I mean, just a completely bizarre offhand non movie example for years. I'm not a huge Queensryche fan, but at, when Silent Lucidity came out, I was a huge, I'm in high school. I'm a huge Pink Floyd fan. I was like, fuck that band for ripping off Pink Floyd. <laughs> like, dude, clearly they're not ripping off Pink Floyd. If you listen to the record, not in any way, shape or form. Is that song influenced by Pink Floyd? Obviously. Guess what? So is a whole lot of other fucking music from the same era. Stuff I liked, but for whatever reason, I just was defensive about that. So it's a similar. Does Jeff, yeah. Does Jeff Tate have like the most beautiful voice, you know, given by God to man? Absolutely. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I was going to say, <laughs> Queenswike aside, I was going to say the same thing that like, um, I think, you know, it hits beats like similar beats but to me that's a little bit like comparing like it's like saying Cronenberg's fly is a ripoff of the original like no no he took what was the, was the concept and he made it into something all his own and I think uh I think because I, I really enjoyed Night of the Creeps uh and I think it's a good movie and it's a fun film but it's 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 more of like it's more like aliens, uh, but without like them coming out of the people. They're just like mm-hmm. these little like these little slugs, and they're just gonna take over their 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 brains and their bodies, and just even animate the dead and 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 use them to 
attack other people and potentially, I don't know, I guess, I don't know what the uh, object, uh, objective of those things is to maybe take over the world, but Slither, it, it kind of does that, but it's something more because like when, when Michael Rucker's character gets infested, gets taken over, he doesn't just become like the alien in his body. He's himself too. Yeah. So it like it, it's like it's amplifying the worst parts of him, and 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 taking like his his negative personality traits and amplifying them, and then and then injecting its own objective, which is to like take over this town, and um, yeah, it's it's something different, and like because even at the end when we find out like it's not just him it's not just like trying to take over all these bodies um wow that just hit me which is very similar to the Starro concept oh yeah <laughs> it's, oh, it's, to- it's, totally uh, holy yeah, shit there's, there's another direct yeah but it's not it's making itself stronger because as we find out at the end of slither it's absorb it's absorbing itself into the rooker character like larger big slug creature thing like it's becoming this whole big monster that i I guess it's potentially going to keep spreading and and keep getting bigger unless they stop it and um yeah it's got its own original homage to society you know i I, just to clear up yeah i always saw this film as as an homage i never saw it as a ripoff but amongst the horror community at the time he's fucking ripping off so and so I can't remember his name right now. The guy that ruined the last Predator movie. <laughs> but, oh, but, Shane um, Black? No. It was Black and, and whoever wrote it. What's his name? Um, the guy... Uh, I'm going to get crucified for this. The guy that directed uh, Night of the Creeps. Fred Decker. Decker. Fred Decker, yeah. No, but yeah, like I said, all, all these all these great scenes are in there that are truly horrific and you get to see all these different little homages. I mean, even like the, the montage scene of all the, you know, cops, you know, getting all the ammunition and guns are like clearly playing like a like a knockoff uh, predator beat in the background yeah it's hysterical like i i love that he he wears his influences on his shoulder and, and i like that i like that about yeah. that film anyway and um yeah yeah slither's a fucking fan favorite of mine i just wanted to bring it up again because no, you don't like, you know what's what's really interesting actually is you bringing that up and ray doing the comparison to starro and the suicide squad you know, in Slither, it it differs from Night of the Living Dead because the slugs don't make you a mindless zombie, right? Yeah. And Starro makes you a mindless zombie. So that's kind of interesting. Well, it makes you part of it. In Night yeah, well, Living I guess Dead. that's true. I guess that's huh? It makes you it makes you it makes you a part of it. It's almost like because it literally all those other little stars that are attaching themselves to the faces of the people. Yeah, that's are right. um Con- his consciousness or it's consciousness. Their, his consciousness it's like a, it's almost like a bug like it, their it, consciousness we shouldn't ascribe gender to sorrow we don't know so yes. we should just not do that good point there. good point non-gender specific we pronouns we don't get anybody upset about that one yeah last thing we need is some giant alien starfish on twitter like you know fucking running us through the ringer hashtag <laughs> not gender nazis i don't know whatever anyway oh no but if you're out there large uh you know 
alien starfish, please do. Please, I mean, anything. We'll take it. We'll take anything. Yeah, thanks. I, I handle hey. the Twitter, so I, I guess I'll have to deal with it. Um, have either of you guys done guns, um, any of his trauma stuff? Are you familiar with it at all? I saw a little bit of Tromeo and Juliet when I was younger. Um, and I think I think I stopped watching only because I got was, tired was it in a health class? Bed. No. Okay. <laughs> Is that the one where there's like a was... the guy with like a mutant dick or something like that? I, I it no might idea. be. It's like it a, might be. Guy goes, you know, drop trial on this gal and it's like he's got this huge like rubber mutant dick with teeth and eyes it's like a monster cock i don't i don't know i mean it literally takes it literally takes the romeo and juliet story but applies a lot of like gory weird violence to it yeah and so there is there is still her cousin there is still there's still benvolio there's still um i'm forgetting his name Ralph, the king the king of cats the cousin and there's still like this, there's still like a duel, but instead of him getting like stabbed by Romeo after he kills Benvolio, he gets run, his like head gets run over and like blows up like a grapefruit as is prone to happen in trauma films. Um, <laughs> and so that's how he's killed. And like, I feel like one of them gets exposed to like radiation or something. And so they start growing these huge gross boils or something. And it's a it's a trauma movie, but it's a trauma version of a Romeo and Juliet, which exactly is the title. It puts it. Okay. Oh, oh yeah, yes, there you, you go. You were correct. There is a monster cock. <laughs> there it is. Wow! Oh my god! Wow! It's trauma, so you know. Yeah. I mean, it's gonna happen. I may I have mean, to pick it up. It's you know fairly cheap on Blu-ray. I think it's only like eleven dollars or something like that. I should grab it. I, I think right. I've seen it one time when I was very, very young, and it was kind of over my head at that point. I just didn't understand. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 you know, I've only, I mean, I've probably seen like a handful of trauma stuff. I saw War when uh, oh, uh, Joe Bob showed it. Which I, is, I turn that shit off. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty fucking it's just, hard to watch. It's, it's just not my holy bag shit, at all. Shit, what is this? Uh, I saw the first Toxic Avenger and I thought it was funny. Um, I mean, talk, you know, like that's what that's our whole bag. It's horror comedy, so it's funny that we segue into that. But maybe yeah. that's why James Gunn was writing a film for him in the first place. Um, I mean, I thought it was, like, you know, there's some funny parts. I, I, I gave them, I give them props because the thing about it struck me about how this is going to sound bizarre, but how uh advanced in the thinking was at trauma was that they had uh they had openly gay characters in uh oh, yeah in, early, yeah yeah in, in the early films and i was like wow and then like i mean it's kind of played for a joke but they're not necessarily like characters that get killed off like i feel like they're there at the end when like they revere him like they revere toxic is it toxic as a hero and like they're there in their little speedos with their little it's so ridiculous but they were in speedos and have sweaters tied around their necks which really is a good joke but they're like hey toxie yay and like i'm like you know what at least they didn't like just kill them off like yeah, i'm yeah. like you know what that's i mean they're these weird background characters but they're there and i was like god this is interesting 
but that's the thing about trauma you know it's inclusion of like outsider culture especially yeah. at that time yeah so i mean yeah commend them for that definitely i've always heard good things about terror firmer too i've never seen that one either but you know i haven't seen it either throw it on the list of shit i need to watch yeah right i know and i mean you know really that's the thing like when i you know stuff like like trauma's war well trauma's war might be a bad example I, I don't know that i could sit through that um i'm not saying that it's bad i'm just saying it's not for me but there are other things by that it's like i just have to pick what i watch because i don't have that much time you guys are the same way you know there's not infinite time so it's like man i can't really fuck around you know so like i i was thinking about watching tromeo and juliet for this episode but i hadn't seen dawn of the dead or belco and i I knew that those were going to be more relevant, I think, or I thought. Now, honestly, I probably should have just went with Tromeo and Juliet instead of Dawn of the Dead, and maybe that would have been more relevant, because I don't know that Dawn of the Dead was that relevant. But I mean, that's also just one that it's like, it's, I just needed to watch it because it's been so long, and, you know. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, whatever he, I, I would, I, I hope. You know, I know he's going to be a busy man because I guarantee he's going to do another. I, a bunch of people were like, DC should just give him their their whole cinematic. No, 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 no. Because I don't want to see him monopolized. Like, you know, whatever. If if he does another Suicide Squad, I'll definitely be, be there for that. Um, but I would love to see. And he's obviously doing another Guardians movie. I still haven't seen the second one. You know, whatever. Um I would love to see him get back to doing something. And I think he will. I think there'll be something in in line with more of a budget um, with Slither. Like, I'd love something comparable, but it'll be bigger. So that would be super fucking cool. And, the, you know, the mind reels at like, geez, what, what, what kind of, what could he do now? That's, you know, some like original horror property or, or you know, I don't know. It it's really it's exciting. And that's what that's what I loved about Suicide Squad because at the end of it I'm like, I know you're still nasty. <laughs> like, I yeah, know yeah, you still yes. had it in you. Yeah. So, you know, come back when and and we'll be waiting for you, you know. We're, yeah. we're we have been. So, come back. Let's let's see what you got. I know it's something gruesome no doubt cuz he doesn't seem like the type that's going to go and start doing romantic comedies. Fuck so, no. I, you know, let's let's let him do what he wants. Yeah, let's let him do it. Also, I, I'm wondering if now the days of him, because if you think about it, like super, I don't know what year that was. Slither was one, definitely when I was still in Chicago. So 2005, maybe. Does that sound right? So that's like a year after he wrote, well, a year after Dawn of the Dead came out. Um, but, you know, Belko was just not i feel like not that long ago 2013 maybe so he was still writing things that he wasn't directing so i wonder if that's gonna go away now and he's just going to be writing and directing which is also exciting um because you know i mean belko was great but i wonder i feel like it would have been a better movie if he had directed it i just there was a little bit of like a um a joylessness to it like i don't know i I liked. I definitely liked it. It was very well made, but I just, I don't know. I, I, I kind of wanted. It wasn't exactly what I expected it to be, and I think because I had gone into it thinking he had directed it. So when I saw that it was the, what is it's um what's his name uh, what are those outback horror movies um, Wolf Creek Wolf Creek yes it's the guy that did 
Wolf Creek is the director. Um, so that's the Greg guy McLean. who also did Rogue. Yeah, that's right. He did Rogue, yeah. Which we've also covered. Wow, interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, he, he's a great director, but I just wonder if Belko would have been a little bit more... I don't know if I would have liked it a little bit more if it had just been Gunn's vision, you know, all the way through. So we'll see. I mean, and, and, you know, Mayhem came out shortly thereafter. I hadn't seen that one either. Joe Bob showed that on his show like last year or something. So I saw it then. It's, it's okay. Like, you know, it, it was, it was okay. Any other, any thoughts before we leave the James Gunn retrospective behind? No, I mean, just that I'm looking forward to seeing whatever he does next. I think that's the, the I think we're all in unison with that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, we're not going to sit here and talk about Guardians. So, guys, let's go into what we've we've watched or read or or snorted. Um, uh, Anthony, what do you got? Oh, man, I've been around dead bodies lately, so. Uh, no, I, I recently read a little book called uh the meat you love in the dark it's issue one just came out this past month or this month actually it's still fairly fresh uh written by scotty young um art by jorge corona uh pretty cool this gal's having like an art block moves out to the sticks to kind of get away uh she's like intentionally trying to pick the most haunted looking house she can (laughs) to uh you know kind of you know uh kind of reignite her 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 artist block that she's having right now so she can start uh, painting again and finds out by the end of the book she's not alone in that house and there is something in there with her and it's you know spooky i'm curious about where they're going to go as far as like their dynamic goes if it's going to end up becoming like a full-blown buddy comedy or something i don't know what's going to happen with it but like it was spooky enough to keep my interest and i am looking forward to the next issue so we'll see what happens with that what did you think of it? I know you read it. I really liked it. Um, you know, Scotty Young, like I like his art, but I it's not, it, you know, like he's got that really like Muppet Babies kind of style or whatever. So yeah. I'm used to seeing him as an artist and I've never read anything that he's actually drawn. I know he had that Middle West book a lot of people really liked. I, I like his, his art as like a variant cover artist. I don't know how it would play for me in a, in a, you know, serialized story. It might be good. I don't know. But, um, or I should say I might like it. I don't know. But uh, I just haven't read anything. Uh, so it was interesting to see him writing and somebody else doing the art. I love the art in this book. The character reminds me, I couldn't put my finger on it. She reminds me of Thessaly, who's the witch in Neil Gaiman's Sandman. She's got those big round glasses. Um, just, I don't know, I, I really like very witchy looking, you know, Um without being like goth i don't know it's it's, it's a cool look uh but I, I love the idea that like she's this artist that i think iron man just flew by or something um i i love the fact that she's this artist that you know is like poised like she's had some success some gallery success and now it's like you have to repeat that so it's kind of like a sophomore slump or whatever and she goes look like you said like you know the, it starts with her looking at this house and like the what is the real estate agent makes some comment or something and she's like well even if it's haunted it's perfect for me or however she says it but you can tell oh she's looking for something to inspire something dark and fucked up to inspire her 
um, it was a great first issue. I, I, I'm curious to see where it goes. Yes, all issue. Ray, what do you got? Well, let me think. I have a few things. Let me start with, okay, I'll start with one that uh, I think kind of bleeds into similar to uh, where you were just where the haunted house and a, a person moving into the haunted house genre. Um, I recently decided to just pull the trigger. I was sitting at home, checked out what was on the arrow. Thought I've seen that on there for so long. Why haven't I sat down and watched this? So I sat down and watched The Ghost of the Waits. And uh, it's great. It's, yeah. uh, it's, it, I found it interesting movie. It's a, uh, it's a short little film. It's really good. It's black and white. I mean, just to recover, like, if you don't, if you weren't listening when uh, Anthony covered it or haven't heard uh, that episode yet, uh, a guy who works for a landlord um, goes into this house to try and renovate it for the next uh, group that wants to, for the next people to come in and rent. And uh, the guy who owns it calls him and says, hey, can you figure out why people keep leaving the property? Like, people keep breaking their leases and they, they just bone out. They're just out. They're done. Like, in the, you know, in the middle of their lease, they're like, no, I'm not going back. And um we see at the opening of the film this family actually like run out of the house um and it's implied that the house is haunted so the guy goes in and he starts fixing things here and there starts having weird dreams and then weird stuff starts happening and he he doesn't leave and he responds to it in a completely uh interesting way like he's just a lonely guy with nothing to lose and he's like okay no 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 and the ghost thus honestly gets frustrated because it's not because the stuff isn't working and she's like what do i do and they form a, a relationship um and start talking to each other and i just it's very it's so odd to say but it, it feels um to me it reminded me a little bit of uh what's the because it goes more towards comedy than it does towards horror, but it, it it's it's a little bit in the genre and like um, oh, what is it? I just had it. Uh, Beetle Beetlejuice. Yeah, it feels very much like Beetlejuice, where it has some moments where you're like, "Oh, that can't be genuinely scary," and other stuff, but it just hits it with this this, this right amount of humor. And it's it's interesting because it's it, it, unlike the way that Beetlejuice is, it's just like a straight comedy. This is a horror rom com, which is a new genre I've never seen before. Yep. But it's a wholly enjoyable one, and it's got heart, and like it's it's totally worth a watch. Um, and it's only like eighty three minutes, so if you haven't sat down and watched this movie, uh, I'm gonna you know say what Anthony said, which is go watch it. It's totally yeah. worth your time. It's not long. It's well acted. It's well produced. It looks great. Uh, it's a beautiful black and white, and it's so worth your time. It's it's not going to disappoint. I agree. It's it's it is just such a solid flick and such a great example of like, man, they they, they don't they made it with you can tell not a lot of, of like money. nothing. Like yeah. they didn't they didn't and they didn't need. Like they just didn't need it. It's just such a good story and such good acting done. Yeah. Two locations and a minimal cast. And yeah. they and made some grease paint. Great little film. And <laughs> yeah. some grease paint. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Yeah, totally. 
and a, and a beautiful story. And like you said, you know, uh, just a film made with heart and charm and yeah. all those other quirky words that we threw at it last time. And it's, it's, it's still a beautiful flick to me. I was just thinking about it the other day. Funny. I, I, there's a song that plays at the end of the film and I, I, I found it on Spotify and ended up playing it on loop for like an hour. It's a, it's a great track. <laughs> But yeah, it's still, it's very high on my list. It's going to stay yeah. there for a long time to come. Very good film. Yeah, I'm glad you watched sure. it. That's awesome, man. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good movie. It's a definitely a good film. Definitely worth definitely. a watch. Um, I'm going to talk about what I watched the first episode of last night because I'm, I'm excited. So I heard of this brand new cherry flavor. And I couldn't remember what I heard about it that made me want to watch it. So we kicked up the first episode. It's new on Netflix. I don't, I, I don't know how many episodes it is. And right away, I remembered. So it's, it's by created by Nick Anacosta, who is the guy behind Channel Zero. And this is basically the fifth season of Channel Zero. So if, you know, Channel Zero is an, an anthology, so every season's different. So I don't think this is based on uh, like a, a creepypasta like that was, but it has a very similar feel. And also, so there's an interesting thing, you know, the seasons of Channel Zero all take place in either suburbs or like small towns. This right away, it's like early 90s LA. So it's, it's very, you know, big city. And it reminds me so much, and I know he's a Lynch fan because anybody that watched the first season of Channel Zero, the final episode, there is a sequence that is exactly, in, not in like a ripoff way, in a really cool homage way. It's Cooper walking around in the Black Lodge and at, in the season finale of Twin Peaks season two. So similar, obviously modeled after. And this movie made me think of when, you know, when I went and saw Lost Highway in the theater the day that it, it opened in whatever, 96 or 7, whatever year, I think it was 96, I remember the feeling, and I didn't put words to it right away, but it was like, oh, like, small town America is gone. This is like city. This is LA. It's slick. There's a gloss to it, right? Same thing. It feels so similar in that respect where it's like, now I'm turning my attention into the city. And so... Yeah, it's man, it is a it's a weird. So we've got Rosa Salazar is like the lead. Um, she was Alita in that Alita Battle Angel movie, which I didn't see. She was also Lucy in Bird Box. She's in Maze Runner, so she's like a name now. I haven't seen any of those. I saw Bird Box, but I I wish I hadn't. Um, so she basically like rolls into L.A., calls a friend who is. Um, so awesome it's manny jacinto who's jason in the good place it's just just so funny to see him like not be that character calls her friend she's like hey i just came out of the desert i'm working on my movie can i stay by you for a while she goes stays with him she's like i've got a meeting with this lou burke guy he's this big producer that hasn't had a hit since 86 so it's been a couple years because i think it's like 92 it's supposed to be and uh she has this meeting he wants to option her movie and then she kind of gets fucked over in a way. And then Catherine Keener, who I didn't even recognize is this like, I don't know. I don't know if she's a witch or what exactly the fuck is going on. She keeps seeing her. It's also very Lynch. Like she's like appearing almost like Robert Blake at certain places. And she's got these cats. And she basically says like, I can 
I, I, if you pay my price, I can do whatever you want. I can hurt people, whatever. And so she goes to her for revenge. And that's what the first, oh man, there's this image of, of Rosa Salazar, like starting to gag. And she, you could see it's going to be substantial and it's a fucking baby kitten. Like <laughs> she coughs up a baby kitten. Aww. I gotta see this. I need to watch this okay. show. As a Lynch fan, I, I feel like I need to watch this Dude, show. It, it, it is, and, and it's, and the funny thing is, it's like disgusting when you see it. It's total body horror, but it's also super cute because then it's like this close-up on the cat and it's like, it's like the oh, it's alive. <laughs> it's, it's like such a weird, like, oh, push-pull with your, like, I, oh, this shouldn't be cute, but it is. Anyway, I don't know, but yeah, I'm, I'm so excited to watch more of it. I really liked it. If, Channel Zero is so fucking great. So I'm just happy that the guy's now he's on Netflix. So, you know, sci fi, you fucked up. Anyway. Small side note before Anthony goes. Uh, and you maybe just think of that. Uh, there's a new Cinerate article up on the Horror Vision. Yes. Yes. And it's, the, and it's a double feature of Censure, Censure and um, Lost Highway. The, uh, yes. Psychosis double feature. So Psychosis double feature. Nice. <laughs> What do you got, Anthony? Oh, I uh, read a little book called Severed. Oh, it's so good. It's uh, by Scott Snyder, who wrote Witches, and uh, Scott Tuft. Yes. And uh, man, this is an interesting book. Uh, set in, what's the setting in this? It's 1916. Be- 1916. Yeah, it's like like Plains, like Kansas or Iowa or something. I think they I think they say at the beginning. I, I don't remember, but it's it's the it's the you know the Great American Plains of the early 20th century. It's a, it's an elderly gentleman who's who's basically telling um, the story of how he lost his arm, and he lost his arm in a very interesting way. But at the time, it was easy for him to say, "Oh, I lost it in the war," because the story itself was a lot more horrific than than what you think, you know, than, than what he alludes to. And uh, it basically goes into him, you know, uh, running away from home. He was, you know, in a foster care, foster home, and uh, he was getting ready to be sent off to prep school and his whole life would have been different. But he said, you know, I want to go out there and, and ride the rails and I want to find my father who's a musician and I play, you know, fiddle or viola. And um, we're around here, we call it a fiddle. And, um, yeah, he uh, he sets off to go find his dad and, you know, finds himself in a lot of dire situations. And uh, I mean, I'm not going to spoil it. The book's what came out, what, 2014? No, 2000, it ran 2011 to, to 2012. It was seven really? issues earlier. Yeah. Um, man, yeah, it, it's a oh, it's a good book. Yeah. Where he finds himself is pretty, pretty grim. And, well, um, and i mean just the, we I, can spoil it, it right <laughs> well the idea that there's you know like you said like he so it's already a scary thing for like a kid of 12 to like leave his house or whatever behind and like go ride the rails and like you know skirt with this like hobo culture or whatever and you know you see it even early on before he meets the main villain like they're like guys in a boxcar, like about, about to fucking rape him. You know, it's like, yeah. like right. Whoa, what's going on here? Um, yeah, there's a scene. I, I don't know if it, you can't make it out. They don't show whether or not it's 
him or if it's one of the hobos that already has their pants down like it's fucking disturbing. it's one of the it's one of the hobos it's, it's yeah fucking it's fucking creepy man it's super disturbing um yeah oh man but yeah then what he ends up getting not mixed up in but he he makes the acquaintance of somebody that is looks like a man but is apparently not a man and um it, it's another one of these things where it's like like it feeds on children and and man and, and it even like i like the way it talks at certain points about like like there's in the last issue there's a thing where it's, it's like i i read your letter to your you know looking for your father and and your dreams like they're just in every every inch of your muscle it's just your whole being is this dream of riding the rails and playing fiddle with your father and it's gonna taste so good yeah and it's so creepy man. oh god oh man that's a great little book yeah man it's uh, i'm glad you recommended it to me um it's it's a solid read um 15 bucks 15 dollar make you holla um fucking readily available it's a good fucking read man and uh it genuinely creepy just it, anytime you throw, you know, ch- children into like really dire consequences and, and extreme horror, like it's, it's going to grab you immediately. And that's, that's what it did for me. And it's, it's really fucking gross, man. Yeah. And dude, Attila Futaka, if I'm saying that right, his art Futaki? is just, Futaki. Futaki, it is unbelievable. Like it <laughs> so puts you, it reminds me. I know you guys won't really agree, but there's like a, like that movie, The Reflecting Skin. There is just something so devastatingly horrific about the mundanity of the, the those fields, those early 20th century plains of America. There, and he, and he, there's just certain sequences with the it's either there's somewhere it's just bright as day, and it's just like the mundane, like oh, it's creepy. But then there's other ones where it's like night. And, and and they use a lot of these like kind of abandoned homes. And so you get this old kind of old school architecture, dilapidated. It's just, oh man, I don't know. It's it's so fucking well done. I, I, I love Severed. It's very good. And, you know, much like Witches, which uh, for those who haven't heard the episode, we, yeah, uh, we, we, just, we just knocked one out of the park over at the... Uh, the other podcast what's it called yeah. a most horrible library yeah anthony joined chris and i and we talked we did a deep dive on scott snyder and jocks and matt william uh wait matt hollingsworth's uh which is which is set to hopefully come back maybe before the end of the year with another arc but um but it, again yeah. more more children children in horror um yeah and again kids and just dire consequences so you it pulls you in immediately because you have that uh, if you have that nostalgic factor where it's like, OK, I can I, I can see myself watching or, or, or engaging in like a goony story where these kids are out there, you know, on an adventure and shit goes south immediately and it doesn't get better. And it never does. And it yeah. just it's fucking relentless by the end of the film uh, uh, film. Sorry. By the end of the, the book, um, you know, you're 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 still left wondering, like what the fuck else well in in the end dude the end is even i didn't remember how it ended and it ends like abruptly and in a way where it's like oh uh, um shit okay i get i maybe everything's not okay which is very cool yeah but uh solid read recommend it 
And and like, you know, like what you were saying about the children in peril, Ray has said that a million times. Like there's something so effective about a lot of 80s movies because they weren't afraid to put kids in peril. And that's why Stranger Things is so popular. That's why Fear Street hits so hard. It's like it's there's they all have skin in the game. You know, it's like shit, like you could die. And Ray wants to see you die. Yeah. (laughs) I think the reason it's effective is because um it's such a big part of our culture that like there's 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 a couple of things about kids one is that they're young so they haven't experienced a whole lot of life and to see young people have to at the risk of losing their lives like it's so strange but like you know it goes back to the concept of like if if some little old lady dies or, or, you know, some old person just dies suddenly, no one is shocked. But if, a, if a, you know, a child just suddenly drops dead, people are like, oh no, what has happened? What yeah, is going yeah. on? And um, it, it's, it's that. And then the, I think the other thing is um, the concept of the, them being innocent. And it's like, even, even when it comes to teenagers and the early slasher films, where it was like, you know, it, it's typically somebody, because uh, Friday the 13th isn't the only one that does the cold camp setting. There's sleepaway camp, there's uh, the burning. And um, the whole concept of like kids getting blamed for something that happened to someone that's horrific and them them taking revenge on other children for it because they couldn't get revenge on the children that did it to them um just doesn't seem fundamentally fair to us um i think it, it is i think it's part of the reason it even works in it where like you oh, know yeah. it the thing could attack the adults in the town but it doesn't and the reason it doesn't is because it likes the, t- the taste of children but we also feel like there's something fundamentally unfair that it's going after the kids instead of the adults because the adults it seems logical it seems like it would make sense and because adults at some point we realize we've lived lives we've made mistakes we've made errors there's sins we have committed but even a kid having sex with another teen, like two teenagers having sex in a movie and then got killed because they had sex is problematic for us because we think back to ourselves, well, no, it feels a little innocent. I mean, even the first time, like a couple of teenagers having sex feels innocent because it's just naturally what's happening to their bodies. So we think like everyone does that. It's just a thing you go through. Um, And for them to have to pay the price of their lives because of venturing into that particular sin feels unfair to us and wrong and i think it's why kids are so effective i agree a few different reasons but i think i feel like that's one i think that's part of the reason like we can watch adults get killed on screen fairly easily and when when it gets to be teenagers that look like adults then it's still okay but when it gets to be actual like kids or teenagers that look more like kids and they do like teenagers were like jesus like yeah right like that Definitely. second fear street movie like go, like there's a couple moments like you talked about it too where like i was just like jesus like they really went for it they yeah man. killed those kids with gusto <laughs> that's crazy usually movies shy away from that but they were like nope we're doing it we're doing this we're doing let's it. go here uh i saw werewolves within 
it's a great little film. It's very funny. Um, I think you said that you had heard it described as uh, um, Wolves Out. Yeah, the director described <laughs> like it as Wolves out. out in an interview. Which, you know, that makes sense because there's a the great thing about that movie and I, I, and I and for a moment I wasn't it is a horror comedy. Accent on comedy. But it's so good at what it does. It's so much fun. It's really funny. And um, it makes you unsure for a large majority of the film. That is there possibly not anything supernatural happening? That's cool. It's just these people. And I was like, this is really cool. And I really enjoyed it. And I, I wasn't terribly surprised by the ending, but as enjoyable as it was and 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 so exact and so so funny like i didn't mind at all like i didn't i felt like that wasn't part like it wasn't going for a twist uh maybe a little bit of one but you know the the, the fact that you can see it coming i, I feel like doesn't ruin the movie for you at all oh, that's it's cool. great totally worth a watch i need to see that yeah i think it's it's like five bucks to rent right now on on prime yeah. i think so uh and i'm pretty sure it'll end up on shutter probably in like oh, a month sure. so yeah um the other one i was going to do i finally well, i've been wanting to watch this for a while spare parts um andrew thomas hunt directed it written by david murdoch and svet roskov uh cinematography pashu patricky um so andrew thomas hunt he he's one of the producers on psycho gorman and he's one of the original founders of this raven banner so this came out under raven banner entertainment um this is a very classic grindhouse exploitation setup to a very fun movie it's you you get this girl band miss 45 punk band they're playing a show and like even like some guy gets up and grabs one of their you know breasts and fight starts and they're kicking all these fucking dildos asses or whatever and then they're selling merch and this weird guy comes up and is talking to him and then they get run off the road wake up and they're in this like surgery and they've had limbs removed and replaced with weapons and then they're basically put into an arena and they have to fight total this reminds me so this is what i love this this is now i feel like cinema that's been influenced by joe bigos and like that like i feel like this is definitely felt like something Joe Bigos would have made or not like exactly like his aesthetic, but it's just, it's that throwback exploitation grind grindhouse. It's got a, a nice heaping dose of girl power, which just doesn't feel forced because it, go, it goes perfectly with, you know, it's this girl band. They look like easy targets and they're not. Uh, so it's it just the whole way, the whole, way it happens makes sense and it's just fun and there's some great gore and great music and just some cool ideas just this idea that like there's this whole weird community within this like these acres of this like um junkyard and uh shout out to <laughs> um julian uh i think it's richings who is henry in the doctor in anything for jackson He's Fritz in Vicious Fun, the clown. He's been in every, he was in a, he's in Channel Zero, Butcher's Block as the gardener. I've seen him in like so many, like at least once a month I see him in something new, I feel like. So I'm glad he's really 
getting this kind of work. He's a great, great character actor, and he's fantastic as kind of the overlord of this bizarre community in the junkyard. So it's very cool. It's I think it's a five dollar rental on, and and it'll be I'm sure it'll be on Shutter again in like you know three weeks or something. So, but it's it's cool to check out. So definitely support it. And, and there's a comic that Behemoth Comics put out, same company that did Osaka Mime, and they did those Turbo Kid prequels that I I pre-ordered and I don't know when they come out but the comic's cool it's really just a rehash of the first like third of the movie but it's still it was cool to you know read it ahead of time I bought this maybe a month and a half ago so is that a one um, shot or limited one shot I was hoping it was gonna like expand but turns out it's just basically the first third of the movie so still it's cool you gotta tell me when that turbo kid uh prequel comes out because I fucking I love that movie yeah dude uh I'm I'm sorry there's a video game now like I keep seeing articles about this. I don't know if it's out or it's coming out. Yeah, there's a, a turbo game video a turbo kid video game coming out. So yeah. If I played video games, I'd buy it, but I don't. Maybe I should start. I don't know. Um Anthony, what you got? Uh last thing I'm gonna talk about. Uh, I don't think we've talked about this series since issue two, the silver coin four and five oh. just came out recently. Uh silver coin four written by um Lemire, Jeff Lemire, uh, he wrote Sweet Tooth, uh, Gideon Falls, etc. Illustrated by Michael Walsh, and then issue five, written and illustrated yeah. by Michael Walsh, and it's my really shows us what he could do with this fucking issue. Solid fucking issue uh, yeah. for fans of The Witch. Read this bitch; yeah. it's fucking amazing. I didn't. Yeah, I that. really liked it. Um, yeah, the, the Lemire issue. It's so, I liked so, it. I mean, it, it's such a different context because it's futuristic. So I know, like a lot, I know a lot of people like, eh, it was probably my least favorite issue, but I still thought it was fucking great. So, yeah, I, I think it's the weakest of the bunch, honestly. But to really bring it back together and close that first arc with the fifth issue, fuck, it's good, and it's easily the best. What was that last week? Was that last week it came out? Yeah, top top of the week for me. Yeah, easy. it was good. just fucking amazing issue. Uh, you know, deals with witchcraft, deals with witch hunting, and the comeuppance that you know are involved yeah. in that. It, it's just a solid, solid issue. Yeah. And uh, this this series again is every issue is written by you know it's, it's a new writer. Uh, all of them are illustrated by by Walsh. The trade comes out in October for those who would like to you know buy it collectively or go out and buy the single issues. Either way, you're in for a good time. Solid art. There's gore. There's great storytelling, and it's highly effective anthology series. It is. It's amazing, and I, yeah. I can't say enough good things about it. Please read it. Completely agree. Ray, you want to you, you want to take us out on one more? Sure, sure. Uh, well, I saw. Uh, I rewatched something this afternoon. Um, I oddly enough had not seen since I was a kid. Now that I saw it. Uh, as a kid, it makes me wonder what was going on because I rewatched. Um, I was trying to find something to watch, and I saw that they had Lair of the White Worm on a I've Prime never available seen watch. This. Man, I had not seen this as a kid. It's such an odd fucking movie, but it's great. It's Ken Russell. It's so it's got a lot of his character, like a very like uh, Ken Russell like sexuality and weirdness. Yeah. But it's about this. Um, it's about this 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 uh, legend that exists. I forget. I forget the name of the actual town, 
but that there's this um oh i just had it well it's based See, on a bram stoker story uh, right yeah it's pretty it's based on a bram stoker story and it's loosely based on an actual legend of this uh the lambton worm and um in the film this there's a there's um oh i forget the name of the actor right now peter capaldi yeah played doctor who um he's in it he's super young and hugh grant are the two like starring like male leads they're both super young in the film like i was sitting there and i thought at first like hugh grant had a brother that had been in acting when when he was younger because they look that similar and then i realized like oh and then i looked it up on mdb and i'm like that's peter capaldi holy shit um and he's he's this guy excavating in this town, uh, staying in the, this hotel room by these two sisters, and um, the local legend of this large, like snake-like dragon creature that was slayed by this knight, and that's what the town is famous for. And he finds this large skull, and he thinks maybe it's this um, this, this animal, this fabled animal, and maybe just a dinosaur bone. And at the same time, there's this woman that starts coming around. Um, the lady, oh, what's her name? Sorry. Lady Sylvia Marsh, played by Amanda Donahue. And she uh, basically is the last denizen of this snake god. And she's this like snake vampire creature um, who can grow these fangs and inject people with venom and turn them into like snake vampires like her. Um, and just the whole concept of snake vampires and she's using her sexuality and like it, it's a trip of a film and it's, it's, I, I found it, it's a pretty good time. So if you get a chance to check it out on, on Prime. I saw it years ago when I was like, I don't know, 12, 11 years old and i just happened to see it on there and i was like well i haven't watched that since then let's check it out and i wasn't surprised I, like i there's stuff in there that i had forgotten there's stuff in there that i remembered but yeah it's it's totally worth a watch it's a good little it's a good film uh and it's it, it is i mean it does have some ken russell weirdness but he feels a little bit more restrained than usual for him which is good yeah there's there's like i haven't seen that many of his movies but from what i've seen there's like the stuff that's like okay it's weird but it, it's not that weird you know like altered states is weird but it's not that weird and then there's his yeah. version of uh the fall of the louse of usher is like one of the most bizarre times. like i don't even know what the fuck i'm watching right now lair of the white worm i've always wanted like i remember this box cover from as long ago as i can remember and it is one of those things where it's like there's such a, a sultry sexuality to it and at the same time it's just it's weird and off-putting and like yeah. i don't know it, it it made sense years later when i found out it was a ken russell movie so it's on prime i didn't know that so i'm, I'm gonna try to watch it soon. yeah i just happened okay. to be looking for something to watch and i popped it on and, and i saw it on prime and i was like oh shit i'm gonna watch cool. that right now and yeah it's definitely worth a watch i guess the it's only also thing on I, would, I would want to mention oh is yeah i can get it that way um was have you guys seen the trailer for that prisoners of ghostland the Sion oh, Shona film? No, but I um I heard Oh my fucking god. Heard, it looks so odd. I can't wait. I heard it's very good. Um it looks so I watched the trailer three times. And I think it was because it just was so odd looking that I was like, I can't wait to see this. And I just kept watching the trailer. 
it looks so bizarre. And, I need to you watch know, it another another one of the uh, Nicolas Cage revival films. Man, but, he's got so, he's got uh, so think, many movies. Yeah, but honestly, I think the other thing that just attracted me to it was it's 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 a Shannon Shona film, which is the guy who did Suicide Club, and why don't I think it's why don't you why don't you play in hell? Is some of his other films like Tokyo Vampire Hotel. He's kind of a guy that's known for bizarre movies in the same category as like uh, Mieke. A um, little bit more restrained, um, but just movies where you're just like, what the fuck is happening right now? And like, that's him. Um, and for some American film studio to give him the opportunity to make a film in English and go, yeah, no, here, go make a movie. Nicholas Cage, sure. So, I mean, you got a, a director that likes to go batshit crazy on film, and you've given him an actor that likes to go batshit crazy on film. Yeah. So this could be gold. Nice. I gotta watch that trailer. Hmm. All right. Well, let's call it, um, guys. We'll we'll do another one soon. We'll catch up. So keep reading, watching, snorting, and uh, until then. Until the next time. I'm Stabby Sean. Oh, was Anthony. Wrangling Ray. And this has been the Horror Vision Horror Podcast. So, boo!